This episode of Haunted Cosmos is brought to you by The Psalms Project, Lorenz Contracting out of Dallas, Texas, and our supporters at patreon.com. Did you know that patrons get early access to ad-free main episodes, as well as an exclusive weekly show, The Dusty Tome? Support the show today and get these benefits and more. And now, on with the show. The summer was reaching its glorious zenith in late July of 1997. Normally quite dry by this time in the ranch lands of northeastern Utah, this summer had actually turned out to be quite lush, the pastures bursting with green under the hooves of lowing cattle. But however beautiful the scenery at Skimwalker Ranch, the scientists at the helm of the NIDS team, the National Institute for Discovery Science, was growing frustrated. Though they had personally experienced many strange and even terrifying phenomena, they had yet to capture anything that amounted to scientifically useful data. Personal experiences and anecdotes don't exactly count as footnotes in peer-reviewed literature, after all. And so, tired of the constant near misses, the repeated instances of experience without documentation beyond eyewitness accounts, the team decided to install some surveillance equipment in the form of six cameras deployed in one of the hottest areas of the ranch for strange activity. The cameras were cleverly arranged, so that the cameras captured not only a 360-degree view of the area, but also each other. Each camera post was itself surveilled by another, ensuring that nobody could tamper with the instruments without being captured on film. Certain that nothing could now take place without at least some chance of scientific documentation, the team waited and waited. Unfortunately, nothing is exactly what they captured for a full year. It was a Monday morning, July 20th, 1998, when Tom Sherman noticed something strange. Three of the cameras had gone offline. Recalling the recent storms that had gone through the area, the experienced rancher figured that the cameras, which after all hung more than 15 feet off the ground on tall poles, must have been struck by lightning. He stepped out of the command and control center into which all of the cameras fed and walked the eighth of a mile or so to the nearest cluster of cameras. What he found made the decision easy. He needed to get the NID scientists there as soon as possible. But upon their arrival and initial investigation, far more questions were raised than answered. While it was clear that someone, or something, had set upon their surveillance equipment with the intent to destroy it, they couldn't make heads or tails of how it had actually been accomplished. One of the researchers recounted, quote, As I examined the cameras on the telephone pole, it was obvious that somebody was intent on inactivating the cameras. All three cameras had been mounted about 15 feet off the ground, each camera facing a different direction so that the full 360 degrees could be covered. From the three cameras, the video feed and the power feed came together and went underground at the base of the telephone pole. All the wiring had been neatly anchored to the pole by means of PVC tubing and also heavy-duty duct tape. Each set of wiring from individual cameras had been separately wrapped in duct tape. The PVC tubing now lay bent and twisted at the foot of the pole. All of the duct tape had been meticulously unwound from both the individual wiring and from around the telephone pole itself. Finally, the wiring itself had been dragged forcefully out of all three cameras. Anybody who has experience in wrapping wiring with duct tape and leaving it to bake in the summer sun will appreciate 
the enormous difficulty and patience required to unwind the sticky tape several times from individual wires as well as from around the pole. The marks of the duct tape on the damaged wiring as well as on the telephone pole were plainly visible. The tape was nowhere around. We searched the ground minutely for several days for several hundreds of yards radius around the pole for the missing duct tape but found no clues. The next part of the investigation was to see if all three cameras went off the line simultaneously, and for this we had to rerun the videotapes. We also hoped to obtain a clue regarding the perpetrators because it was possible the cameras might have recorded the unknown vandals during their approach to the telephone pole. The videotapes revealed that all three cameras had lost power almost simultaneously at about 8.30 the previous night. This was just before it had gotten dark, so there would have been enough light to maybe catch the perpetrators in the act of vandalism. Suddenly it dawned on us that one of the remaining three cameras on a separate telephone pole 200 feet away was still working. Better still, it had been pointing directly at the vandalized pole during the incident. There was a mad scramble to retrieve the videotape and we waited in breathless anticipation as we played back the video. Sure enough, the camera had faithfully recorded everything. There was still plenty of light out as the timestamp rolled towards the fateful 8.30 time when presumably the recording would reveal who had damaged the other cameras. We watched dumbfounded as the timestamp continued past 8.30 and revealed no unusual activity. Carefully, we replayed the videotape, checking to make sure we had the correct time. The videotape stamp was precise, but we could see nothing on the footage other than the pole itself and the cattle peacefully munching grass in the pasture beyond. Each time we replayed the tape, the more certain we became that we had the correct time. This made no sense. Whoever had yanked the wiring out of the cameras should have been in plain view on the tape. Nothing whatever disturbed the pristine stillness. Unfortunately, the resolution was not good enough for us to see the thin wiring in any detail, but it should have afforded us a glimpse of whoever had ripped the wiring to pieces. Completely flummoxed, we took all of the videotapes back to Las Vegas in the hopes that digital enhancement might give us a clue as to what had happened. After multiple rounds of digital enhancement, the puzzling incident came into even sharper focus. The resolution became good enough to see the tiny red lights on the bottom of each camera suddenly lose power at precisely 8.30 p.m., confirming that the cameras had actually lost power while being taped. Yet, the enhancement provided no clue whatsoever as to who or what had so forcefully damaged the equipment. The combination of fastidious attention to detail and removing every shred of duct tape from the wiring, while at the same time ripping out the wiring from the camera junction boxes, was disturbing. It reminded me of the same eerie combination of brute force and finesse that had been displayed in dismembering the calf a little over a year previously. And interestingly, both of these incidents had happened less than 50 yards from each other in the same field, in daylight and in full view of witnesses in one case and cameras in the other. End quote. Had some unseen force completely dismantled the camera in the blink of an eye? Quicker even, in the space between camera frames? Instantly. Does something sinister stalk the fields and mazes of Skinwalker Ranch? The events that took place at Skinwalker Ranch are some of the most inexplicable and strange things I've ever seen. It's as if we're peering into another dimension and observing things that are beyond our understanding. Quote from a credentialed scientific investigator with the National Institute for Discovery Science.
Welcome back, everybody, to Haunted Cosmos. Yes. My name is Brian Sove, and I am joined here by my good friend, Ben Garrett. Say hi to the people, Ben. Hello, people. I am widowy doing the cool No, you're not. He is widowy not. Okay, that was for all of our Zoomer listeners. All of you, like, dozen or so Zoomers that like and, us. And, and speaking of listeners, this is actually the first episode we've recorded now yeah. since releasing publicly. So here's the deal. We've recorded... Eight episodes of this show. Yeah. The well, one through one through six, or one through seven, and then also number ten. Yeah. With the last one. Uh so that's really confusing, first of all. <laughs> it is for you listening. Like but the now timelines. We're recording episode eight and we've released episodes uh one and two, and the response has just been epic. We're so great. You guys, we've you know, I did not believe that we would make it into the top 10 on the Apple podcast charts. And Spotify. After the first episode. Yeah. That was insane. That was the top 10 on Spotify. It's amazing. So thank you guys. We've had just such an outpouring of support. I know we're like months in at this point when you listen to this. I know. Sorry. Just go there with us. We hope that we've made our gratitude plain on Twitter and Instagram and stuff because we really do feel it. You you guys are the bomb. You guys are the bomb diggity and... We're very thankful that you're listening in, but let's Ben, let's let's cut to the chase here because yeah. we th- there's some crazy things happening at Skinwalker Ranch, and they're not too far from us. No, 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 no. Yeah. So we're a little concerned. First of all, <laughs> I want to know what if it spreads. Put on the full armor of God every day. Put it on. I mean, Put especially if you live uh, within the realm of a Skinwalker. Yeah, like you're gonna want to put it on. Don't, don't mess around. Don't mess around. Okay. Don't mess around. Hey, guess what? What if you mess around? You might find out. You might find out. You might find out. Well, guys, in this episode, we are in part two of three of our look at one of the strangest nexuses of strange activity in North America, probably. Yeah. Skinwalker Ranch. In part one, which if you haven't listened to, you really do need to go back yeah, and you, listen to yeah, part one. Yeah, you should one. go back and listen. It'll make way more sense. We laid the groundwork there for this 500 plus acre ranch in about northeastern Utah, kind of if you're looking at the map, there's the L at the top right of Utah. Mm-hmm. It's at the bottom of the L, just yep. underneath Skinwalker Ranch, a cattle ranch. It was owned for 60 years by the Myers family. But then our story picked up in part one in the early to mid-90s. Ni- Terry and Gwen Sherman bought the ranch, moved in, and we told you the stories of the bizarre experiences that they had on the ranch. Yep. Everything from poltergeist trickster activity to crazy light orbs and stuff. Yeah, and after two years of that, they had decided that they had had enough. They were going to sell the ranch. And you might think, well, there's the end of the story. But no, the story that was strange, it gets stranger. Okay, now you've probably, listener, watched lots of movies that have this certain narrative shape, that deploy this certain trope. And the trope is this somewhat eccentric millionaire or billionaire who funds mysterious, strange, or dangerous scientific research into an area he's interested in. You can think of like John Hammond in the movie Jurassic Park, funds all this unhinged research, and you know what? He found out. They didn't stop and ask... (laughs) Wait, no. They no had, what they did was your scientists were so yes, consumed yes. with whether or not they, they could, could. They didn't ask. They didn't they ask whether they should. Hey, life finds a way. Hey, Jeff so Holt. true. And more many such cases as will continue. <laughs> common scientist L, but uh, common Jeff Goldblum dub. That's true. 
That guy. It's true. Creep. That's a yeah. It's it, anyway. You, oh, <laughs> Peter Wayland in the movie Prometheus. I'm not necessarily yeah. recommending any of these movies, but I mean, here, here, the, this shape is yeah pretty common. It's kind of like a a trope you see in movies, stories all over the place. Well, as the saying goes, life does sometimes imitate art. Sometimes art imitates life, but life almost often imitates art. Oh yes. And uh, something happened with that shape here in the story of Skinwalker Ranch when the Shermans decided to sell the ranch. I mean, who do you think might be interested in buying a ranch? Like, I mean, remember the stuff was publicized. <laughs> yeah, like, like people, people knew, knew what was going on oh, yeah. at least locally in Utah. Yeah, you know? and we'll even talk about it's it's clear people knew about it. Like if you saw, if I saw a Zillow ad. And it said 512 acre ranch in Utah. Check. Picturesque. Okay, that's good. Beautiful mesa. Check. Uh, bubbling creek. Check. Through the property. Check. Water rights. Important. Oh, you got to check that. Big check. You got to yeah. check that out. That's great. Teeming with dog melting orbs. Okay. Uh, also, cattle sometimes disappears and gets eviscerated and mutilated. Okay. There are occasionally strange flying RVs with spacemen in them. <laughs> okay, so bad for the kids. Bad for the kids. It will steal all your tools and hide them in trees, ah, which is on. the worst part. That's the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> poltergeist activity. Just like sometimes they'll unpack all your groceries, and then a poltergeist <laughs> will put will will take them and put them all back on the table that you started. I I pro- I don't think but I would put an offer. The seller is going to help with closing costs. So well, that's a, that's <laughs> let's put that in the pros category. Well, okay, there was a man though who was interested in the property, not in spite of all that list of crazy things, but actually because of them. And this man first heard about the ranch in I think 1996 in a newspaper ad or no, a newspaper story that he had heard about some of this activity. And to that guy, he said he he picked up his late 90s phone, which is like the size of a. Size of a, a child. Of like a small child. Small child. He put it up to his head and he said to his lawyer, get me that ranch. Brian is holding, he's <laughs> acting like he's holding the world's biggest I, I phone know, to his ear. Right now. <laughs> oh, that man's name is Robert Bigelow. Robert Bigelow actually is still with us. Yeah. As we record this episode, he's 78 years old. He's an American businessman. And this guy has a net worth in the nine, maybe even 10 figures at various points in his life. So like Chobani yogurt, yeah. This guy doesn't worry about buying it. He 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 buys like multiple at a time. He looks at Chobani yogurt and he's like, "I'm not worried about that. <laughs> Give me it." I want you guys to know that was not in the notes. That's peak that was, lu- but it's peak luxury. It's so true though. <laughs> it's so true. He, he didn't look at it. And he was like, "I don't know. I don't know, babe. Can we make it work?" It's in the budget? sixty-seven dollars. He's probably per not, spoonful. Let's be honest. He's probably single. He's probably single. Bigelow, he's a very interesting guy. Bigelow made his money in the Vegas hotel scene. And he made it by essentially noticing this hole in the marketplace where there wasn't like a cheap hotel, motel sort of in the market. It was like you had total, just like total rundown garbage or really expensive. And so he came in and he started this hotel chain. You've heard of it, Budget Suites of America. (laughs) <laughs> he started that hotel yeah. chain. Great name. Great businessman. Built the company up. Some people estimate his net worth was something like $700 million. He claims a billion at some point. Anyway, a lot of money. A whole lot of money. And, 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 and before you think that this guy's maybe just a crackpot, because he bought the ranch specifically because he wanted to investigate paranormal activity. Yeah, he didn't want to raise cattle. <laughs> no. You know. And you might look at that and go, well, he's a crackpot. I mean, like, sure. he's just a crackpot. 
He's actually a very not only a respected businessman, but he also founded another company called Bigelow Aerospace mm-hmm. in 2011. Bigelow Aerospace is an aeronautics company that uh, manufactures and develops these special space station modules that are like actually in use. I think, yeah, on the space station, yeah. Yeah, so, so he's was a really legit aerospace company. He, he is he invested two hundred fifty million dollars of his own money in the first two years in Bigelow Aerospace. Wow! So this is a guy who has a serious interest in business, in technology, particularly in uh, technology in space, space exploration, but also in the paranormal mm-hmm. and what he'd call parapsychological topics like the thanatology, which is the study of life after death. Yes. Okay, so not a Christian. No. I want to make that clear to you. (laughs) This is a non-Christian who's fascinated by life after death, paranormal. Are there other dimensions of existence? Are there there aliens? Like, he's just, and he has a lot of money. So he's like, look, I'm going to make Jurassic Park. Yeah. Real IRL (laughs) Jurassic Park, but demons. So he bought the Disneyland of weird activity. I repeat myself. (laughs) But you repeat yourself. (laughs) He bought the Disneyland of... Paranormal activity. Yeah. That he uh, he saw this newspaper thing. He was like, "Well, I think he bought it for like two hundred grand. It wasn't a serious." That makes me so mad. I, I I don't know for sure. That's off the top of my head. But God. I mean, in the nineties, though, two hundred grand was like the equivalent of six thousand million dollars. I know, but right now, like land in Utah, guys, yes, is difficult Dude, to buy. Good investment. Yeah, good, very good. Good, good in, and you'll see by part three of Skinwalker, <laughs> it was like great investment. Great investment. Great investment. Got out at him. the right time too. Yeah, he did. He really, he really, really, and truly did. I think <laughs> some people trace Bigelow's interest in this to some deaths that he had in his family, of yep. some like untimely deaths, and he started. and And this is like a warning to to people listening to this. Maybe you're not a Christian. We're Christians, and we're trying to turn the lights on in the dark cracks of this world that God made mm-hmm. and warn you that, you know, a lot of people are interested in these sorts of stories. They're fascinated by them. And, and the reason is because you are not just a, a meat puppet walking around. Yeah. You're a spiritual, physical being. You're made in the image of God. And he put eternity in the hearts of men. Yes. Ecclesiastes tells us. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's completely, we should expect given that that's true that people would be interested in spiritual things. Yes. Now, the problem is that when when people fell into sin, sin corrupted every good thing that God made. And so our, our spiritual interest, which is we should have an interest in worshiping the true and living God in, in, in word and spirit, well, it gets corrupted and we start to, you know, sometimes meddle into spiritual world that is not actually good. It's, yeah. it's evil. One of the things that the scriptures forbid are things like necromancy, mediumship, yeah. talking with the dead, all that sort of stuff. And uh, Robert Bigelow, clearly the doorway for him, or at least a lot of people speculate the doorway for him. He's very private. He doesn't do a lot of interviews or anything. Um, but it was death in his family, and he wanted to see if what mm. happens. Yeah. And I would say, Bigelow, if you ever listen to this, repent and believe the gospel. And then you'll find out. Yeah. You can actually find out <laughs> for free on a Sunday in many locations across the across US, America what yeah. happens after you, you can die. actually ascend to the heavenly mount zion yeah and uh, surrounded by festal shout and angels yes great cloud of witnesses and worship the true and living god yes like yes. for free and learn about the faith once for all delivered to the saints yeah. who will inherit the earth for free for free for you free do you don't even free. have to buy a strange ranch to contact weird things yes it is for free 
Like, it's amazing. It's the, <laughs> the elites don't want you the to know The elites don't want you to know this, <laughs> but you Alex literally Jones. can. Oh, anyway. So Robert Bigelow buys the ranch and then, and you can see this in a lot of his business stuff, Ben. I think, I think this shows up that he's, he's kind of a systematic scientific. He has a great respect for what we'd call the scientific method. Yeah. Very interested. And so he founds the National Institute for Discovery Science. Ben, can you tell us maybe a little bit about yeah, I mean, I think the, the best thing to do would just be to read their mission statement. Yeah. So yeah. the National Institute for Discovery Science, or NIDS, is a privately funded science institute engaged in research of aerial phenomena, animal mutilations, and other related anomalous phenomena. Note that they, they think those things are related, which mm-hmm. is already interesting. So they wanted to collect eyewitness accounts from as many people as possible. Yeah. And they go on to say that NIDS maintains a large database of anomalous activity and investigates reports whenever possible using a combination of high-quality ex-law enforcement investigative teams and contract research involving nationally accredited labs in the veterinary, biological, chemical, and material sciences. Mm. The results of these investigations are published in peer-reviewed journals on the NIDS website. So basically, imagine you have this interest in the paranormal, you also have a uh, a real respect for the scientific method, observation, data collection, analysis, etc. Yep. And then you also have enough money to put together every boy's dream, <laughs> yeah. Which is like the greatest ghost hunting, beast hunting team in the world. Yes. So this guy has the means, uh, and he thinks that it's a worthy cause. And so what he does is he's like, well, hey, if you've ever had a strange experience, we want to know about it. And if it's in Here's, I'll do you one better. If it's good enough, if it's compelling enough, we will come to you and investigate it. If it's recurring, we will come to you and investigate it. Really, one of the, one of the biggest things to note is that NIDS started off with this blanket assumption that UAPs, unexplained aerial phenomena, and animal mutilations were inextricably linked. Yeah. Which is a huge theme of this show, of Skinwalker Ranch in general, and, uh, and we'll get into that more. And then one of the other things that they started to really hone in on is this tendency of, of these type of events when they happen in high quantity in areas, mm-hmm. it almost seems like there is an intelligence yes. that knows what's going on, at least somewhat or even omnisciently in the area. So yeah. why don't you tell us more about that, Brian? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, the the team here and some of the conclu- – we're going to talk about some of the conclusions they drew. The team that they assembled were – if you look at one of the books that we've referenced several times, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, it's written by a guy named Colm Kelleher, George Knapp. George Knapp. Knapp is a journalist. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's the, like, the category you'd put him he's in. He's an investigative journalist. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So he's a writer, investigative journalist. Colm Kelleher is a scientist. I think he was a biologist. but He was he, with NIDS. And he was with NIDS. Yeah. So NIDS assembled this team that includes guys like John Alexander, who's an ex-military uh, investigative colonel. Yeah. And John Alexander, the guy who inspired the book, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Yes. The book and the movie, which is kind of a playful take on the sub on his stuff. Yeah. But John Alexander's this. We could do a whole episode on John Alexander. Yes. Like he he's yeah. in he investigates and studies things like uh, remote viewing. This is government funded research into remote viewing. Like the, the government literally. Fun, we're going to talk about that. Yes. In some yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. You got a guy like Colm Kelleher. Uh, you've got Robert Bigelow owns it. There there's this whole team of scientists that are assembled, and some of them are known. It's important to understand as well that some of them intentionally remained anonymous 
so their credentials would be listed, things like that, but they remain anonymous because it's very controversial to study paranormal things scientifically. Remember, this is contract work. So these guys aren't thinking like, oh, I'm going to retire here and get a pension. This is, I'm going to spend maybe two years here and then I'm going to move on to something else. Yes. When they move on, they have to still be respected. Yeah, they can't be like, well, there's the weird (laughs) UFO guy. Like everywhere he walks in, people play the theremin music. (laughs) The X-Files theme. You know, like the X-Files theme. Yeah. So these guys would write, peer-reviewed papers. They published a lot of their material. It's very meticulous. You can go read it. We're accessing a lot of their website stuff because they they stopped really functioning as a continuing organization in like 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wayback Machine yeah. captured their whole website. So you can go look at their personnel mission statement, a lot of their writings and that sort of thing does still exist out there on the web. Yes. What this team of scientists quickly began to realize really was, was too... Two main things. One of them was that their initial goal of coming in, and they thought because of all the activity that had been cited by so many different credible witnesses, they were going to immediately come in and capture reams of video, audio, and, and other scientifically viable evidence of paranormal activity. Right. That maybe would be open to saying like the typical, well, that's not the UAP, that's the planet Venus, whatever. But at least to be on video. Yeah, yeah, And they'd be able to capture it. The first thing they found is that that was very frustrating. Right. So Brian, as it turns out, Dallas, Texas is our biggest listener base if you narrowed it down to a single city. Can you believe that? That's amazing. I don't know why that's true. I have no idea why that's true. Also, my hometown, Atlanta, is number three. That's a fun fact. <laughs> Nonetheless, we thank the Lord for all of you Dallas listeners, and we want to do our best to throw you specifically a bone. Yeah, everyone knows that buying a new roof for your house can be difficult. You know, you're always getting scammed by hucksters, but you know what would make it better? Buying a new roof from a Christian or getting an inspection from a Christian. If you're in the Dallas area and you need roof work done, then you need to reach out to Lauren's Contracting at www.russroofing.com. That's right. If you are a slightly unhinged haunted cosmonaut in Dallas, Texas, who needs some work done on your residential or commercial roof, or maybe there's been a recent hailstorm and you just want your roof inspected to make sure it's safe, whatever it is, go check out our friends at Lauren's Contracting. And you can find them at www.russroofing.com. That's www.russroofing.com. Or call Russ himself at 940-395-9413. Again, that's 940-395-9413. That was an incorrect assumption. (laughs) They, They were so frustrated because of the second thing that they found. And the second thing that they found is that the ranch was Disneyland for paranormal activity, yeah. but that it was messing with them. Right. And it wanted to make it, they thought, very difficult to capture the things that they were seeing in a scientifically viable way beyond just eyewitness reports. But in the most frustrating way. It's, most frustrating. it's not that nothing was happening. It's that everything was happening at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. And and, and so they concluded, that, well, they, I'd say they had a tentative hesitant hypothesis is that they were dealing with what Colonel John Alexander coined a what was a precognitive intelligence. Ben, can you read there's a a quote there from 
the I believe this is from Hunt for the Skinwalker, but it, it might be from a, a George Knapp article. It's but, from it's it's George Knapp quoting John Alex. There we go. In yep. some in one of his works, and he says, "quote I came up with a term for it. I called it a precognitive sentient intelligence. It certainly seemed to be intelligent, and it seemed to know what we were going to do before we did it." <laughs> what? Like, let that sink in, Just please. Think about this. This guy is like an actual scientist. Yeah. Who's trusted by the U.S. government? Which Army Colonel. I know that. I know. That, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Presumably, anyway. In the, presumably in the late '90s, that meant a little bit. More, Let me put my tinfoil hat on. It actually just did. say, probably a reptilian. Okay, taking it <laughs> off now. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Guys. But imagine this is what it would be like. You wake up in the morning and you're like, "Man, I really want some bacon," and then your kitchen starts cooking bacon for you. You you walk down. Your kitchen's already cooking bacon. For right. You. You're like. You're like, wait a minute. That's a very nice precognitive. Right. That would be like a, a a benevolent one. This one was more malicious and that it knew what John is saying is that the ranch, I'm just going to personify it, call yeah. it the ranch, knew that they wanted strange things to happen. But the ranch also knew that they wanted to observe, yes. re- record, quantify, measure it, collect data on it. So what the ranch would do is say, well, I'm still going to do all these things, but I'm going to do it in between equipment being set up yeah. or I'm going to mess up the equipment so they can't collect the data or I'm only going to do it to this one guy who's like yeah. walking over there to go pee or something. I'm going to wait until the NIDS team leaves to go do other stuff. Yeah. They investigated, we'll still talk about, they investigated areas of New Mexico and right. other areas as well. And then Tom Sherman stayed on. This is a key point I forgot to say. Tom Sherman, the ranch manager, the yes. ranch he, the rancher, previous owner, previous owner, he stayed on to manage the manage cattle the because they actually saw the cattle as an important sort of living bio sensor. You can't just get rid of the cattle. They thought, well, the, a lot of the activities centered around cattle, so let's keep him on. They hired him, and he he did stay on. So so stuff would happen. We'll we'll describe stories where Tom Sherman would be the only one he's there, the only, and he's like, and you he's gotta like, be kidding? Are you kidding me? Like I sold this. Ranch. We have the Jurassic <laughs> Park team, yeah, and and they go to New Mexico to study you know alien stuff there, and then five minutes later. We get a, another orb. You know, an orb is driving my cattle off a cliff. We'll talk yeah. about that. Anyway, so this NIDS team, they say that like that Bigelow was so serious that he constantly drilled them on this adhering to the scientific method. His science advisory board. They had a science advisory board. Okay, that would like oversee and say are you doing the investigation like seriously science. correctly yeah. and they would hold their feet they were they did not want to be a crackpot organization they wanted it to be you know completely documented and so that brings us this story that we told in the cold open because that's really an example of of uh, the kind of phenomena that led them colonel alexander and others who have investigated the ranch as well yeah to this sort of like, well, they throw their hands up and they say, it seems like there's this precognitive, yeah, sentient entity that is literally messing with us. The thing that I can't get around with the cold open story, if you remember, they set up the cameras, three of them went off at the same time, mm-hmm. another camera filmed those cameras, yeah, and at the time they went off, they saw the, the power light shut off, but they didn't see who or what had messed up all the wiring at the bottom of the pole. Here's my question, Brian. Maybe you know this. Did they ever get footage that that showed like the wire was good and then it was bad now, or could they, or was it too grainy to tell? They just still couldn't. It tell. was too grainy. The best they could see is the light that showed when the camera shut off. Okay, so they, so they they know the moment that it happened. It lost power. The wiring was destroyed. Right. 
but nothing came up. It's actually important to understand. I don't think they mentioned as much. The way these cameras were filming is not 24, 30 frames a second. They were filming on a, a time-lapse mode. Yeah. But that might make you think like a picture every... Because they're, they're filming literally for a year. Yeah. So you might think that's... How how could they do that? They're, they're obviously not doing 4K mm-hmm. 60 frames a second for a year. The, the absolute state of state the hard drive. Yeah. The terabytes that would be required. But it wasn't like once every minute. We're talking like a frame every second. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. you know... There were a couple modes, but it, it they were still ex- like a second or less. Still robust. Between frames. So what this means is that whatever did whatever to the cameras, or to the wires, I should say, did it instantaneously. Instantaneously. But I mean, either it was able to move into the dimension where time didn't matter. Sure, yeah. Or like it's the flash yeah. and it can do it between it, frames. It could have been a missing time. What we perceive as a missing time kind yeah. of thing. Uh, but to whatever entity, if there is an entity doing any of this at all, right? If if you believe the stories, if you believe any of this at all, where they're able yeah. to step into a separate dimension where time is is more um, measurable, almost like a space dimension, like length, width, and height. Yeah, and 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 they're able to step in and see time. Yeah, so they can almost pause it. anyway. Yeah, they can like pause it. The the point is, whatever did this had to be big enough that it's going to show up on a camera. I mean, this was like intelligent activity directed. It knew right. what they were trying to do. Yeah, that's the key. It knew what they were trying to do. It knew what a camera was. We'll get into the. We're we're gonna get like we're gonna keep touching on that a little later. Remind me to ask you a question that I have okay. about this whole precognitive intelligence yeah. thing because I think it's really key. But one of the one of the one of the major themes that we absolutely have already touched on and have to get more into is. The cattle stuff. Yeah. The cattle injuries. Because remember, they noticed that the Shermans were operating a legit ranch yeah. when all this stuff was taking place. So like actual good scientists, they don't want to mess stuff up. They have to maintain the control group, so to yep. speak. So the ranch is still a functioning cattle ranch. Tom Sherman is still on it. And you have all of these crazy stories about cattle mutilations, cattle going missing, and then like helicopters spying on the ranch yeah. and stuff like that. So let's talk about some of those. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those. Those are exciting because we've got that, you know, well, what, just, I know we've made this connection. So what, one thing that does interest me and, and we, we do, we need to, we need to keep moving and talk about that. But it, I keep coming back to this, this, this moment in act 16, Ooh. like 16, 16 to like 24 or so where Paul and Silas are going to a place of prayer and they're met by a slave girl. Mm hmm. And the, Luke tells us the slave girl had a spirit of divination yeah. and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Yes. Okay, she follows Paul around. Paul gets annoyed with her because she kept crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It's almost like God is forcing the, the spirit of divination to proclaim the gospel. Yes, almost like <laughs> Saul's visit visit to the witch at Endor. Exactly. It's yeah. like he just enslaves the powers and forces them to do his will. Just like when the demons encounter Jesus and they're mm-hmm. like... We know who you are. Please don't send just us like, to the Tartarus. Just before. like black holes. I mean, we're just going to move on. <laughs> so Paul casts this demon out. He commands the, the spirit of divination in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And he says it was greatly annoyed, which is one of my favorite lines. The owners are all mad that their hope of gain was gone. They seize Paul and Silas. They drag him to the marketplace. They throw him in prison. Anyway, but that story, what is that? Yeah. It's some kind of spirit that is able to do some sort of fortune telling. Right. And 
divination is almost exclusively talked about in a negative light in scripture. The only the only exceptions I can think of are Joseph's uh, diviner's cup in Egypt. Yeah. And I think that Daniel's dream interpretation is referred to as divination at one point, but I could be wrong about that. In, in both of those cases are areas where the people of God are going into pagan realms yes. and yes. sort of using the language of the pagans. Right. Scripture makes clear that it's not the sinful divination. Right. These that, aren't necromancy, like yeah. calling us to the bat, to the evil spirits. So... I just want to like put a little put a little pin on the map. Yeah. In the conspiracy red thread going everywhere, guy shaking his hands and going yes. like, what? and just say I would call Acts 16 and say that if you were to, if a pagan were to show up in a scientist lab coat and mm-hmm. say what was that before Paul showed up, he would have said, "Well, that's kind of like a precognitive sentient intelligence." Yes. yes. It's divination. It's div- I mean, so this is a theme you're going to see through Haunted Cosmos. Yeah. We have pagans often trying to describe with the language of science and technology things that are fundamentally things spiritual. Things that are spiritual. Things exactly. that are fundamentally spiritual. Anyway. I'll also just put a pin in yeah, something real quick. We really do hey, need to move on. Ben, but here's the thing. This is our show. People will listen to a three-hour on in Cosmos because they're fussing about it coming out every two weeks yeah, know, constantly. Yeah, yeah maybe. So they- let's give them like a six-hour. <laughs> I wish we could today. do it every week. Yeah, uh, guys, so anyway, So you have the problem of it being localized. Yeah. It's on the ranch. This was the same thing with Mothman and Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Like, why was it localized? Yeah. And you get into this idea that like, well, is it sort of a talisman? Did did the Navajo create a talisman here? Mm. But then you're like, well, talisman, that doesn't seem like we have scriptural precedence for that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we do, but I'm saying don't be so quick to say that. Yeah. One, it, I mean, Samson's hair. Yeah, we have examples. (laughs) Samson's hair. I'm not saying that God, like, you know, wasn't powerful enough to make him strong without the hair. What I'm saying is that in God's providence, to teach Samson lessons, to to discipline his children, God placed Samson's strength in his hair. Yeah, God did that. He created a talisman, is is what happened, such that when Delilah cut off his hair, his strength waned. And so the idea that some spiritual power whether it's you know evil or good could attach itself to a physical thing is not unprecedented yeah that's not and it's also not unprecedented for pagans to give names to spiritual things that are just their name for it exactly like a talisman a curse exactly a, you know a gin living in a lamp i mean which we're gonna do a gin episode at some yeah point. we gotta do it you know cursed objects these are yeah these are things where don't hear us saying the pagans got it all right but do hear us saying the pagans are explaining yeah. Spiritual phenomena using whatever vocabulary they have, whether that's Bronze Age, yeah. Canaanites, or or twenty twenty two lab coat wearing yeah. mid scientists. Exactly. You know, exactly. They're, they're using they're they are using the best they have to try and explain reality. Yes. I just wanted to put that in there because yeah. I've been thinking about it more. Like, what about this yeah. whole attachment to a thing yeah. uh, situation? Anyway, so continuing, <laughs> the ranch continues to have issues with cattle mutilation and all sorts of things there's one account where this is again this is in 97 so nids is is involved at this point it's august of 97 and uh, sherman mr sherman finds that the cows are startled by something Mm -hmm. so he's managing the ranch and the cows he noticed are stampeding south in such a panic and by the way guys if you don't know cows cows don't like to run no in fact cows will die if they run. They seldom run. Very long. Right. They literally will just fall down and die. They get excited 
and they 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 become prone to lung infections, specifically in other sorts of maladies. So mm-hmm. they run so hard, they break a fence line, like getting all cut up, running through fences to get, and they they go into the neighbor's ranch area, which is an alfalfa field. And now, so there's another, they're fleeing some kind of danger from the looks of it. But then there's this other danger to Tom, to Sherman. He's saying, he's a rancher. He's like, alfalfa can kill cows. Right. He's concerned about, A, the cows have probably like, you know, like you said, cut themselves up yep. by committing to running through this fence. And now they're at risk of eating a bunch of alfalfa if they choose to stop there. Right. And they'll die. And the sun's setting, like it's late in the day. Yep. Tom and his son, Tad, are trying to herd the cows back. But it's something, it's, they're un, they're out of control. Yep. They're panicked. They're losing their mind. They're very stressed. This will come up in, in the next, in part three. Yeah, foreshadowing. Actually, stress can kill a cow as well. Like yep. a, a, an acute stressor is very dangerous. So Tom finds that there's like an area that they won't that they won't go between them and the ranch. Mm-hmm. The cows have fled and now there's like a boundary or a force field and they're they will not come yeah. back. So he tries hurting them in a, in a different direction, going east instead of north. Dude, this reminds me of the zone of fear with Keel oh in the Mothmash. I just thought of this. Do you guys remember that? The road where he wouldn't in the he, night? He waited till the sun came he, up he to like, go across the, Wait a minute. Because he, he was like, the <laughs> zone of... The cows found us. It was... It was the, a zone of fear. They found a zone of fear. They found it. They are John Keel. They are the same. Well, okay. Like, a, he, like another if, he, bibli- if he took a step, he would get he panicked would and he would have to back up. Okay. Another biblical connection? Uh-huh. Balaam's donkey could see the angel. Ooh, and he wouldn't okay, go... like this Whoa. is now at this point. I'm no, just no, saying. No. This is the best biblical example we have of something like this. Whoa. And also, Exodus 4... Zipporah, the bridegroom of blood. Moses is out of the picture in that Mm -hmm. story somehow. And God had come to kill Moses, which by the way, weirdest. It's very weird story. But God had come to kill Moses and Zipporah is the one that circumcises his son. Moses is somehow immobilized. And people, commentators will often compare it to Balaam's donkey. Interesting. Saying that Moses was experiencing some either like paralytic fear and he was completely unable to move. Because he was so afraid. This is so, so anyway, keep going with the story, but that, that connection just leapt out at me. Dude, I love that. Of Balaam's donkey and John Keel. Again, look at all the, everything is, is there's threads. I love that. that run through creation. I love that. In the story of history. But continue, wow. continue the story for us, Ben. Sure. So he tries herding the cattle in a different direction because they're not going to go into that one spot, the, the area of fear. So he goes east instead of north. He's like, all right, we're going to go the long way. Pythagoras yep. rolls over in his grave. He's <laughs> but all of a sudden, okay, as he's starting to do this, a golf ball-sized blood-red ball flies into view and shoots at them from the nearby creek. It misses Tom's horse by inches, okay? And then, and then the horse starts freaking out and starts running. The cows are now bellowing in a crazed fear. They're even more afraid now. Also, like a massive or a golf ball-sized red ball flies at you. Let's just not gloss past that. That's really weird. Come on. (laughs) One of his prized bulls is going insane with fear. Super valuable animal. Yeah, very valuable. Just like in part one. I think we emphasized well the value of those animals. So Tom, he's like, okay, what the heck is happening? This golf ball thing just tried to kill my horse. But... He's like, no time to think about that. I'm worried about the cattle. And then as he's trying to herd them again, as he's like collecting himself, another red orb flies at his horse and Tom loses all semblance of control over the horse, which flees towards the canyon. So Tom is on the back of this horse and he's now he's like, I guess I'm running to the canyon now. So 10 yards before the the horse is going to jump off the canyon's edge, like off of a cliff, 
Tom flings himself off. He jumps off the horse, barely misses going over the edge. The horse miraculously falls 20 feet, but isn't injured. So the horse actually runs off this edge. Yeah, it goes. And you'd think it would die. That That's how scared the horse was yeah. of this thing that was chasing it. It was willing to just die. It was like, it's I'll like, jump. It's like the pigs uh, when Legion in, invades the herd of pigs. And they're like, I'll just die. <laughs> the connections. <laughs> right. So... Tom sees two red orbs floating around the the now stampeding cattle. He's trying to herd them towards the creek. The cows stampede off of a 15-foot embankment into the creek. Several cows and calves lie injured, stuck in the mud, broken legs, can't get out of the water. They're still afraid. And Tom just has to go home. Yeah, he's like, he finally, I mean, he's trying to get them sorted, but he's like, okay, I'm going to regroup his son, Tad. His His son is out there who's... Very helpful, like not a young, young lad, like right, yeah. older son. Able to help. Yeah. So they're, they're like, he's going to go regroup. It's now two in the morning. Remember, this started before the sun went down. <laughs> it's been seven hours that they've been trying. Like, we just passed over in three minutes. This had been seven full hours or so yeah. of the cattle, between the cattle being startled and, and him returning back to sort of like regroup. He meets his wife over there and he's like hey this is what happened the loss was not as bad as he expected he'd gone down to the creek and some of the calves had some broken legs there were some lost animals but it seemed like most of the cows were were actually going to make it and they were calm now they were calming down and and then his wife he's telling his wife all this and and all of a sudden mrs sherman she points out to the fence line up south where this has all happened and their son tad is climbing over the fence on their way back and they both see this red orb hovering 10 feet over his head yeah of course mrs sherman is frantic she screams yeah when she notices it and screams the orb all of a sudden buzzes low over the ground and starts shooting towards them and so now they're like oh great yeah this orbs. i get. i guess this is it i guess we die right and the nids team is going to come and investigate our our dead bodies <laughs> all right probably mutilated they'd probably actually call the police i guess nids wouldn't be like we have jurisdiction. Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> so, but the, the the red orb, it buzzes over their head, flies off into the western sky, and disappears. Now, when Tad, they're in a truck, by the way, they're right by the truck. When Tad, is, he's now got over the fence, he didn't really notice, Walk, yeah. walks towards them, they tell him, like, what happened? And they say, all right, let's just, like, hide in the truck. Maybe red orbs can't get into trucks. I don't know, which actually, not a bad instinct. I mean... Look, when you're scared at night, you hide into the covers. Humans, it, it, like, we just think that things keep us safe. In the Black Eyed Kids stuff, which we'll probably do at some point, yeah. I mean, the, the guy in the car. That's true. It's like, can I get a ride? Let me well, in the car. Maybe some, the threshold. Yeah. It's some barrier of entry actually usually is helpful. So they, they they sit in the car for maybe half hour and nothing happens. So, so Tom Sherman says, I'm going to go check on the irrigation gates. He's got to lift them, change the flow of the water. There's still ranch stuff to do. And if you are into farming and ranching like you know it never stops it's middle of the night it doesn't matter he missed seven hours of work you, you can't just so he yeah now he's not going to get sleep he's like all right i guess i'm working so he goes out and it takes him about five minutes to change the flow of the irrigation he takes a shortcut from the truck past the old homestead house mm-hmm. uh, he goes past the old homestead it's this abandoned ramshackle ranch house and he goes and does it comes back and uh, as he meets his wife where he told her to meet him uh, again, she goes, look at that. She points and he follows her hand, which is trembling. And there in the distance over the, the ramshackle ranch house is the bowling ball sized blue orb that they saw right before their dogs got melted. Yeah. 
So now they're like, well, we're again, we're about to be turned into dog butter. Right. It was three dogs before. Now it's going to be three people. Three people. And they're going to just find greasy little piles of Sherman. Well, it seemed to notice the orb that they had noticed it. And it darted to hide behind the house. So they they find, I mean, they finally, they're just like, whatever, we're going home. Yeah. They go back to their house. Tom calls the NIDS team because they'd been investigating elsewhere. And he's like, you got to come back. Yeah. And they come back. But again, the NIDS team, just unbelievable. They couldn't document any of this. My my question, so the orb notices them. Yeah. Flees behind the house. Why would the orb flee behind the house? My big question with all of this. Yeah. Is why does the why does the 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 precognitive sentient intelligence do this? I know. I, what I, is the end game here? Like, yeah. is the goal to just try and terrify people and make them feel helpless? Like, no one's going to believe me. I can't measure this this thing. Like, it's happening. Is the goal to drive people insane, or is the goal to? Deceive the the most number of people as possible. Yeah, you know, it, it, because if the goal is to deceive the max number of people, then why wouldn't it let itself be measured and quantified and, and recorded and all this? Right, stuff? especially if, by people that think that all this is neutral. Right, but if the goal is to plant the seed of fear and despair in just a few people, yeah, well, then of course you wouldn't yeah. want it to be measured, right? And, because, and- yeah, I also think that there's an element, and we're going to do a conclusions at the end of part mm-hmm. three. Yeah, we're just like asking questions at this point. Still. I, I, I just think there's something there with imitation of technology. Mm. I have a connection. There's a Doctor Who actually episode <laughs> where these alien orbs show up and they're like these little machines. And I just yeah. think like they, they keep showing up because the ball of light was like this plasma, lava lampy sort of buzzing electrical sort of thing. And so you could look at that. And a lot of people do look at this and they say extraterrestrial technology. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, we're going to get more into that. Yeah. Now, there there's a report. We're going to share this report. It's fairly dry reading. Uh, I have it in the notes here with the link yeah. from the Wayback Archive again. This is a report that NIDS did on some unusual animal injuries in Cache County, Utah. So this wasn't just on the ranch. There were other ranchers who were involved that reported strange injuries. You can go look at pictures of the injuries the cattle had where they'd have like a a big puncture hole on their jugular area. Mm -hmm. It was bleeding. Um, There was some where they were convinced that the udders of the milk cows were being literally drained. Yeah, like what? Okay, not through the uh, not through the teats, but through like holes. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Okay, them teats. Yeah, I mean that's what they are. That's just, just be accurate through the holes that they are cutting into the cow. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. boring in. Okay, then right. the weirdest one though, and again, like there could be natural explanation for this. I don't know, but when you combine it with the strange, exsanguinating, sharp instrument, yeah, in instantaneous cattle mutilation stuff that happens on on the Skinwalker Ranch. There was one where the cow, and it's a classic moo cow with the black and yeah, white. Yeah, the black and white splotches. I mean, just it's the black and white. Everyone's favorite cow. And and on the back of this animal, there's this like scabbing, horrible like injury lesion. Yeah. And it's only on the white portion of the fur, which you're like, why? Yeah, wh- that, why? It's like perfectly follows the white and leaves the black area alone. It stays like consistently an inch away from the black fur and you go maybe there's like some kind of parasite that it sees it as a barrier i I don't know maybe natural explanation we'll link to that report just know there's a ton more 
we literally would have to do a six hour episode to talk about all of the weird yeah. cattle inside of, like when it comes to the lesions that's that doesn't go in the black inside of me there are two wolves okay? yeah, yeah one of them is like it's just trying to mess with you right it's just showing you its power mm-hmm. that kind of thing like how detailed and precise it can be the yeah. other one though is saying like i wonder if there's a different a difference in chemical structure depending on fur color maybe that that would resist a parasite or some sort of skin eating virus yeah um but I don't think there would be like yeah. I don't think color would change a chemical anyway. That's well, just... and, and you can read the transcripts of the report where the the cattle rancher they had a hotline where people could call in to NIDS. <laughs> that's great and report things. And so the cattle rancher, it's a hilarious conversation because it's clearly like a ranch guy. I mean, yeah. he's like a rancher talking to this lab coat scientist. And um, the, the the thing that you see through all these is that it was unusual. These are cattle ranchers for years and years and years. Yeah. The reason they're calling the hotline is because. This is not normal. Like this is, they know when, when you've dealt with one animal breed, branching it for profit, where you are very concerned with its health, you get to know pretty much every common malady. Yeah. You know, like what to look for. And so they called in because they're going, this is weird. Yeah. They know animal predation and the signs of animal predation. They know common parasites and sicknesses. Now, Ben, I added another section to our notes. Literally while you were doing oh great the cold open okay and it's because I I remembered it and I went we have to talk about this what is it I'm gonna read to you because it, it, the connection here I'll explain the connection first I'm gonna read it to you it's an excerpt from uh, the George Knapp article part two of the George Knapp article it connects to the the difficulty they had in documenting the bizarre activity so he said quote Ned's attempts to measure this range of bizarre activity were unsuccessful. And he's talking about cattle mutilation specifically and weird animal stuff. He continues, if success is defined by data published in a scientific journal or even data that could be presented to a panel of mainstream scientists, the weird animals observed in late 1994 and in March 1997 felt, so this is both pre-NIDS and when NIDS was there, Yep, said felt and smelled like real physical animals. He's talking about the wolf specifically. Okay. And then this other account. But their response to bullets fired from high-powered rifles was unquestionably different from that of any creatures known to science. I personally witnessed the shooting of a large cat-like animal from a tree. It was 40 to 50 yards away, and I am certain the bullet hit its target. I was just a few yards away when an unknown dog-like animal weighing an estimated 400 pounds was pierced by bullets fired by an experienced marksman. Yet no body and no blood were found after both of these incidents. The only physical evidence was a single claw mark left in the snow. The saga of the bulletproof wolf is likewise difficult to interpret. In short, after several years of the, he says Gorman family, but that was their cover name, the Sherman family trauma and and of focused NIDS investigation, we managed to obtain very little physical evidence of anomalous phenomena, or at least no physical evidence that could be considered as conclusive proof of anything. This was in spite of hundreds of days of human monitoring and several years of camera surveillance. Actually, I, I said that wrong. That was Colm Kelleher in okay. the book, okay. not Nap. Not Nap. So that was Colm Kelleher, scientist. He was the guy doing the work. He's like, look, we Boots saw a 400 pound dog like creature and we we shot it with a high powered rifle from 50 yards, which for a high powered rifle, 50 That's not yards far. is That's point like blank range. From me to you. It's easy. Yeah. They, he's like, we didn't miss. Right. Nothing. It just leaves again, again. So you have these are these are credible by all counts, credible witnesses. 
they're seeking to do say what you will about the whole like materialistic science stuff it's dumb okay but one thing these guys aren't generally are like hyperbolizers right at least they're 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 using the tools they have and they know right and if anything they tend to understate things now especially when they're committed to being skeptics let me connect another one this is the nap article now i had him backwards this is the nap article he, he says this is this one is his craziest. He mm. says, of all the strange incidents at the ranch, this one may take the prize. Ooh. It occurred on the night of March 12, 97. Barking dogs alerted the team of something lurking near or in a tree near the ranch house. Tom Gorman grabbed a hunting rifle, again, Tom Sherman, and took off in his truck toward the tree. Two NID staffers followed in another vehicle. Up in the tree branches, they could make out a huge set of yellowish reptilian eyes. Oh, my gosh. The head of this animal had to be three feet wide, they guessed, because of the eye spacing. Right. <laughs> At the bottom of the tree was something else. Gorman described it as a hu- as huge and hairy with massively muscled front legs and a dog-like head. Now, I'm going to keep reading, but I- I'm unsure if this is the same situation because this is from two different sources. And I'm unsure if Knapp is describing the Kelleher thing I just read or if this is a different scenario. Just It could be the same. But he says, Gorman, who is a crack shot, fired at both figures from a distance of 40 yards. The creature on the ground seemed to vanish. The thing in the tree apparently fell to the ground because Gorman heard it as it landed heavily in patches of snow below. All three men ran through the pasture and scrub brush, chasing what they thought was a wounded animal, but they never found the animal and saw no blood either. A professional tracker was brought in the next day to scour the area. Nothing. But there was a physical clue left behind. This is the same account. At the bottom of the tree, they found and photographed a weird footprint, or rather a claw print. The print left in the snow was from something large. It had three digits with what they guessed were sharp claws on the end. Later analysis and comparison of the print led them to find a chilling similarity. The print from the ranch closely resembled that... Okay, this is... It closely resembled that of a velociraptor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> An extinct what? dinosaur. For the record, no one at NIDS is saying he shot a velociraptor. <laughs> they just don't know what it was, end quote. What? Okay, that was heck? the same. I should have framed that better. Those were the same accounts, but hey, I'll tell you what though. Skinwalker confirmed. <laughs> like <laughs> Skinwalker confirmed. Let's just say I have no commentary on that. That's other, insane. Other than, it's like the immortal wolf. I say, number one, why? Yeah, it, right. But number two, the only options that I can figure out about the veracity of the story is that either it happened, right, or these men were high on, dr- I guess there's three, or these men were all high on mushrooms, and or they're making and it And they all, all had the same trip. They would have all had to have the same trip. <laughs> and, or I, they all, they're making it up. And I'm or, like, yeah, or they're just completely making it which doesn't seem on brand. I just I it reminds me of the story from uh, one of the uh security guys for the NIDS team. He visited the ranch after his tenure. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of, you know, walking around showing the the current owners and we'll, we'll talk more about them in part 3, but he was showing the current owner owners like where some weird stuff had happened that yeah. he had seen. He was just a security guy. Yeah. Like he wasn't a scientist, okay? Yeah. All he was trying to do was make sure no one invaded the property to, to vandalize or hoax. And then also that animals would stay away who could potentially hurt the cattle. Yeah. That was his whole his whole thing. And he would always have it aside a big German Shepherd, like canine mm-hmm. dog German Shepherd. These dogs are big, right? And they're and they're pretty aggressive. And he was talking about how he and his friend one day were doing their, their patrols and he looks 
out into the distance on the path. So it's not like in the brush or anything. And he sees a massive dog cross the road. Massive dog. And he's like, what the heck is that thing? He's thinking, obviously, it's a wolf, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they're still so rare in Utah to have yeah. wolves. Okay. And, and so he's like, all right, we got to investigate. He draws his weapon, going up with his dog to check out the space. Oh, goes out there. The wolf comes back out onto the road. I, I'm on the edge of my seat right now. Right. <laughs> Bro, literally. The wolf comes back out onto the road and just starts walking in the same direction as him. So he's in front of him. Yeah. Walking ahead of like him. Like it's leading him? Yeah. Like it's leading. Okay. Him. No sense of urgency. <laughs> no aggression. Dog's like, I'm not scared of you. The dog's like, you can do nothing to me. And just continues walking about 20 or so paces in front of this guy until finally they make it to the fence line and this thing just walks off the property like what? no big deal he never sees it again <sighs> but here's what he did because he went back it was a relatively wet day and so one portion of the path had some muddy spots yeah and this thing this wolf thing had walked through it so he goes all right i'm gonna go check out the tracks he goes checks out the track and he has his canine dog his german shepherd adult german shepherd walk beside this other dog's track yeah his goal was to compare stride lengths yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So there's a big, like over a hundred pound German shepherd. He takes a picture comparing the stride lengths. This thing's stride was at least three times as long as a full grown <laughs> adult German shepherd. My grandma bred German shepherds for Schutzend and canine training for yeah. a long time. So I've been around a lot of full size They're German big. shepherds. They're a, they are large, scary dogs. So imagine one that is at least, okay, three times as big. Get and then it. it gets better. It gets better. H how could it get better? So he sees this. He's a little freaked out, but he's mostly just relieved. He's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm alive. Glad, I'm glad it's gone. And I'm glad it didn't seem to be aggressive. Yeah. Well, then his buddy who was on patrol with him had gone up, had started walking up the mesa. It's, it's like a scree field of, yeah. of big rocks. So he's walking up the mesa. And he gets to the spot where he just kind of happens to look down into a gap in the rocks. Yeah. It's sunny enough to where he can look in and see a couple of strange items. And so he calls his friend up, the same guy that had just seen this wolf. And he's yeah. like, hey, you should come check this out. So he makes his way up the mesa. He joins this guy. And when Was he, it us recording Haunted Cosmos in a cave? Dude, it may as well have been. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I no, just, I'm that was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> it was us talking about the Mothman in, in the cave on Skinwalker Ranch. Unbelievable. Meta. Five DJs. <laughs> so he goes up, he gets to the top of this boulder where his buddy is and he's pointing into this, you know, like a pseudo cave. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He looks in and he sees two massive dog traps. What? And when I say dog traps. Like those claw traps? The claw traps that you would like, uh, like a bear trap. They yeah, were the yeah. size of the bear trap. Like from Fox and the Hound. Yes. But it was even bigger than that. Like bigger than I'm a bear sorry, trap. That's the connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the animated cartoon <laughs> kind of takes the winds out from, of my sails from when here. you're second grade. <laughs> right. Spooky. Okay, keep going. So he sees this demon dog, this demon wolf yeah. thing, and then his. I mean, in the same day, his friend calls him up and he's like, "Those are the two biggest traps I've ever seen," and there was like dog fur around them. Unbelievable. Isn't that it's just like what? And and this guy, he's recounting the story, and it's yeah. as if it's just yeah, that was that was Tuesday. You yeah, know? That was, this happened. Like it, it, it was weird, but uh, that's just what happens. Now another element of this precognitive sentient intelligence that I think is 
worth noting another wrinkle that, that is again unverifiable you cannot you literally cannot document the type of phenomena we're about to tell the story of yeah is that it actually seemed to have similar to injured cold with Ooh, woody yeah, dernberger that's a, that's a good connection the ability to invade the mind yeah so a team of nid scientists were performing a night study in one of the fields i think it was the eastern field and, it, and it's the middle of june it's actually a lovely night you know, you know, in Utah in the middle of June, beautiful. It's like, it's warm, but it's crisp in the air. Stars out there. Stars out there are insane, especially in Ballard, Utah. Like there's no light pollution. It's, it's wonderful. And so the way that they had set it up was they had two people that were in the tree line and they were looking out in the field. And then they had two people in the field. Now it was pitch black, but they had night vision goggles. So they were able to see what was going on. And then they also had dogs with them as biosensors. Remember, they want to use the animals not only for protection, but also as biosensors. Because they've noticed that dogs and and cows are able to pick on stuff that's going on. This will be a theme in part three as well. And so right out the gate, nothing really is happening. Uh, This one guy, you know, he has a fancy camera and he's ready to take like high res, long exposure exposure pictures of stuff that's going on, but nothing's really happening. Well, then stuff starts going down. And to start, I'm going to quote from... Uh, George Knapp's book, he says, quote, then it appeared without warning, no more than 75 yards to our left, a silent, brightly lit sphere of bluish white light about the size of a basketball hovered, moving slightly as if swaying gently. The dogs, which were behind us, seemed to notice its abrupt appearance. The object was not more than 15 feet off the ground. It appeared to be bobbing slightly and was bright enough that I could see the grass lit up below it. So, they see this orb, the dogs are alerted, and so the man with the camera is ready to start taking pictures, but then, then it immediately vanished. As quick as it appeared, it vanished, it went away. They had seen it for long enough to get it in their night vision goggles, but not long enough to capture it on camera. So what they did was they had this incredible flashlight with them called a Maxabeam. And according to literature, you can, if you turn on the Maxabeam in, in pitch black, you can read a newspaper from a mile away. Or wow. you can notice a newspaper from a mile yeah. away. So they turn on this flashlight and it lights up the field. And they're moving over this field. And George Knapp continues, quote, we walked over to the spot where the object had appeared and just as suddenly had disappeared. The dogs stuck close by our sides. They were not in the mood for playing, we noticed. We searched the area quickly for a few moments but could find nothing. Slowly and warily, we walked back to our original position. My colleague was scanning the perimeter of the lush tree-lined pasture with a pair of Generation 3 ITT night vision binoculars. These binos amplify ambient light, both in the visible and to a large extent in the infrared. I was readying the manual camera with a black and white infrared film when he exclaimed a blasphemy. He was looking through the night vision binoculars, directly at the tree line, no more than 200 feet in front of us. All of the sudden, he said, There's a huge black thing in the trees just in front of us, and it's moving north. The man with the camera, the man recounting the story, gets his attention peaked, and he's ready. He's ready with the camera, and he's starting the long exposure shot over where his colleague is indicating. And his colleague continues, it's big, and I'm not sure if it's in the trees or behind the trees. It's blocking out the stars. So you can imagine this man's shock. But he's ready and he's excited because he has the camera already taking an exposure. Mm -hmm. So he thinks, if this thing's big and I'm using infrared film, we're going to see this. Yeah, like long exposure. Yeah. If it's blocking out the stars behind it in the sky, then we're going to get to see this. 
Unfortunately, his colleague started to add some comments. He said, it's still moving. And he was muttering the whole time. Then all of a sudden, his colleague exclaimed, it's got me. It's saying, we're watching you. (laughs) Then there was silence. I kept taking increasingly longer exposures to try and catch whatever it was he was talking about. I couldn't see what was causing him such intense anxiety. Remember, it's pitch black. My colleague's frantic actions and tone of voice increased my adrenaline. I knew that if something was out there in the dead of night, it wanted to harm us and we were sitting ducks. Then he said, it's getting smaller. And then it's gone. But over and over, he kept muttering blasphemies to himself. I asked him what had happened. He was still shaken. Something big was in the trees just in front of us. It blotted out all the stars through the binoculars, he declared. It took control of my mind. It told me it was watching us. He sounded confused and bewildered. I had worked closely with this guy on numerous occasions, and I knew he wasn't prone to sudden flights of imagination. It seemed to be over, so we started pacing the field again after my colleague had calmed down. The dogs were still on edge, to say the least. But as we did our sweep, we didn't notice anything. We were never able to capture these nighttime game players on film. They never showed up on the long exposures. It was an exhilarating but frustrating summer. The Psalms Project is a band putting all 150 psalms to music in their entirety using a combination of folk, rock, alternative pop, and orchestral arrangements to faithfully and artfully present the entire story of every psalm with music without gutting or censoring the God-breathed text. Over 80 musicians have contributed thus far, including Grammy nominees Phil, Kagi, and Jeff Dio. Here's a quick sample to get an idea of their sound. So make your ways, oh Lord, teach me your path. Rise, 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 Lord, in your The Lord of hosts is with us. Go to thepsalmsproject.com slash hauntedcosmos to get either a free CD, two complete album downloads for just $2, or to stream on your preferred platform. Again, that's thepsalmsproject.com slash hauntedcosmos. Check it out today. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. That is so creepy. That, that is the element of mind invasion. Right. Where it's, it's speaking to him and it's telling him not like, like a uh, injured cold. Oh, I'm just, uh, I come in peace. Don't uh, worry. Don't I'm here worry. to help you. Tell me about your, look, where I live, we call a gathering a gathering. You right. know, it's like, we're no, watching no. you. It says, I've got you. I've got you. <laughs> I mean, demon confirmed. That's insane. And I, I, I do want to point out, so I said in there that he was using blasphemies and, and we do, people do this all the time. Yeah. Christians we don't, it. <laughs> but people do this all the time where something happens and they're like, oh, OMG, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, we can expect that it was that use of the uh, of the name of God. Yeah, he was saying Jesus, he was saying Christ Jesus Christ, over and over, over and over and over and over again. But ultimately, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know what the tone of his voice was. We don't know what his motivation was. But either way, it is interesting that whenever stuff like this happens, people go to the name of Christ. Yeah. Like he didn't just hit his elbow walking out the door to go to work and he and he angrily said it, you know? It was fear that was motivating him yeah. to commit these blasphemies or maybe they weren't blasphemies. And we're- yeah, I actually don't know. Maybe he was, because some people 
are even and you hear this in sleep paralysis you hear this in all sorts of mm-hmm. encounters with terrifying paranormal activity people will often even if they did not like maybe they grew up catholic or religious or something but they're not actively you know they're not christians right they'll often be led or feel the instinct to cry out to jesus to jesus to jesus right. christ to say the lord's prayer and uh, I, I wonder it's ambiguous in that account whether it was that instinct operating where he was like actually calling on Christ or if he was just using it as a, a blasphemy. Yeah. Hopefully the first one. Right. And for it, his it, sake. And it does go back to, you know, if we're being charitable and we say maybe that was the use, it goes back to Ecclesiastes telling us that God has placed eternity in man's yeah. heart. And when push comes to shove, mm-hmm. when the plane's crashing, Yep. You're not praying to science. Yeah, you're not like, oh, <laughs> save me the science. Save me peer-reviewed journal. <laughs> you right. are, you come face-to-face with the reality mm-hmm. of death. Yes. With the reality of your curse and your sin. Yeah. And you realize there is more to life yeah. than this. That's right. There is much more. And I think, I think, I like to think, to be yeah. honest, mm-hmm. that that's what was happening. I hope so. I do too. But ultimately, we don't yeah. know for sure. At any no. rate, that's an insane story, and it's really yeah, creepy. It's crazy. And, and connected to this, this is another element that you see with with um, not just the paranormal activity at the ranch, but also with a lot of UAP. You, uh, you, I always want to say United Aerial Phenomena. <laughs> unidentified, <laughs> United aerial, phenomena. <laughs> unidentified Aerial Phenomena or UFO activity, Unidentified Flying Object. Right. You see a lot of the time this psychic element where things communicate mm-hmm. psychically with people or even... John Keel, again, the researcher from the Project Blue Book, government-funded research that was also involved in the Mothman flap. He's not involved in Skinwalker, but right. he, he would occasionally recount stories where either people that he uh, interviewed or he himself had almost telepathically communicated with the aerial phenomena, where they would think things and it would seem to be responding to their thoughts. Right. Mm-hmm. We're getting in their head like that. And this will be a theme in the final episode of season one, yeah. episode 10. Uh, we're going to get into this in much more detail. Yes. So Easter egg for that. Absolutely. Like just again, another evidence that we're not merely talking about just naturalistic phenomena. Exactly. We're talking about something that has a spiritual and psychical element to it. Yeah. So related to that, there was continued UAP activity at, the Sherman Ranch, and it wasn't just the Sherman family. There was another story where the the Sherman family had seen lots of unidentified flying objects above the ranch, the, the, not just the orbs, but all sorts of things. But they weren't seeing like flying saucers, the disc with the bubble on top and the spaceman with the, the stereotypical drawing. Take me to your leader. <laughs> like it was... It wasn't that kind of thing. They they had seen lots of. We'll talk about triangles. They they like orb phenomena, things like that. But around the area, there were sightings of the classic saucer and disc thing that happened as well. One example was Mister Gonzalez, who was a neighbor. He told the Nids team that he had seen an unidentified flying object that looked like a Mexican hat. So mm. again, like almost the orb with the big bubble top thing and he said it flew over his house so sometimes people call them sombreros because they're like the dome on top yeah gonzalez and his family they saw this disc and it was like a silvery shiny disc he said and it gets weird he said it flew over their house 
and flew directly into the rocks of Skinwalker Ridge and then seemed to be absorbed into the rocks with no discernible impact explosion. Not like a plane hitting a mountain and blowing up. Not like, well, it's like it flew into it. I almost said 9-11, but that was going to (laughs) sound... Uh, thank you. Inconsiderate. Thank you for not. No, <laughs> However, like, it is a good hey, image. Hey, no, it's it's actually it's not a terrible description because the, if you look at the video of the plane hitting, it's like it disappears into it. But right. this was even more like it was as if the rocks didn't exist. They just, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. flew into it right. and merged with it. Right. I mean, we could tell lots of stories of the similar thing that that happened, but. I, I want to go through a couple other types of craft they saw. So there's that. They saw black triangles. But put a pin oh, go in ahead. that. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, put a ahead. pin in that idea of it passing specifically into the Mesa because this is going to come up in part three. We don't want to just give everything away stream of conscience because yeah, we, we, we want to be good storytellers. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to control ourselves, but just keep putting pins Remember in that. And we will remind you of these ideas. Remember okay. that. Brian, black triangles. <laughs> so black triangles are seen all over the place. I've heard from even friends of mine in Ohio who have seen black triangles flying over Ohio. Literally. I mean, I I, I talked to one Christian guy not that long ago who saw a black triangle. And he was like, look, I saw it. I'm a Christian. I'm not crazy. I wasn't on drugs. And it flew towards Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And I was like, what the? Yeah. Would you? What? There is this trope of UFOs being focused around like nuclear facilities and air force military bases, military bases. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's a few, uh, uh, interpretations of that, but anyway, go on. So, uh, the Shermans both reported multiple experiences with what they described as silent hovering triangular craft that had multicolored lights around a black frame. They could not see and see or hear or in any way discern with their senses, a propulsion system that was keeping this thing aloft. And it was something similar to like a, a B2, if you've seen a B2, but B2s cannot hover. No. B2s are a, it, like very early in fighter craft development. People had theorized and, and built models of a plane that was basically all wing yes. and that it would have really ideal flight characteristics, but they couldn't develop them until computer controlled surfaces were mm-hmm. because they were very difficult to fly. Yeah. Now we can do this with the B2 and I'm sure the military has lots of experimental craft that are similar stealth technology shape but the element of this that takes it from maybe it's a government thing to what the heck yeah. is the complete silence of the propulsion and it hovers. Yeah. That's non-ballistic motion. Right. I mean, it, and Ben, you know more about this yeah, than I, mean, I do because non, you're a literal aircraft it's non, engineer. It's non-Euclidean, non-Newtonian motion. It, it just it, it doesn't make sense. It requires the presupposition that you have to make is that the 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 mechanics of motion that we are familiar with that allow us to create something like an F thirty five, for example. Yeah is a lower form of mechanics. Yeah. And there's a higher form that we're not familiar with, or at least, you know, mainstream, if you think the government right. knows and is just hiding it, that we're not familiar with, that would actually, un- not undo, but just show the triviality of something like the F-35, which is the most advanced fighter craft right. in America, at least. Um, Fifth generation so, fighter, yeah. Right, so some of the theories that people have put out there, and this is actually pretty compelling and not science fiction, uh, at least conceptually, is 
that something that's able to do that, like tic-tac video, change direction immediately, like yeah. abrupt changes in direction, abrupt stopping. Where the G-forces would kill a human Right, and then, abru- and then immediate acceleration, mm-hmm. where you're, you go from literally zero to you know 10,000 uh, in, in an instant. Yeah. And then also hovering. To, to accomplish all these things without A, destroying the craft because of the stresses that it would experience. The G-forces. Right. And then B, destroying the people inside because of the G-forces. What you have to do is actually use space-time to propel the craft. Yeah, like gravity and right. space-time itself. Which then you get into the layers of missing time. Like perhaps the reason people experience missing time with UFO encounters or black triangle encounters, you know, is because the object itself is manipulating, is literally having to manipulate the space time around it to work, to accomplish these things. Now, like that's getting into materialism. And yeah. I, I don't want you to think Again. that we've forgotten the whole motto of the show. Yeah. But the point is that just because a spiritual event is happening doesn't mean that physical means aren't being used. Yeah, that, that's a good point, actually. I just want to make that clear. Like, yeah. th- technology can still be used by... It's not like everything is fake. When, when ziggurats <laughs> were built with the help of giants... It, they were still built. In Nephilim sort yeah. of thing. They were still built with rocks. Exactly. So, it, it, I think people under don't fully appreciate the physics of the world, too. Just, uh, yeah. again, we're talking about natural stuff. Supernatural stuff's crazy. The physical world is insane. Still crazy. I, I read a biography of Einstein um, not too long ago, and they were talking about just the the physics underlying the theories and, and even things like, um, what's the project that built the nuclear weapons? Um, Manhattan. The Manhattan Project, which is probably, to date, the greatest nexus of scientific minds in history. I yep. mean, the, the mental firepower that lot was involved of, in lot that of project. Nazis. Absolutely lot of, crazy. A lot of Nazis. Paperclip. We're gonna, I mean, we'll do that sometime. <laughs> but you're actually, I mean, no, he's I'm not kidding. I'm right. literal Nazis. Just. <laughs> now, the physics undergirding that is is in when you think about E equals MC squared, which mm-hmm. then it, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. squared. So what it's saying is that Thanks to the speed of light, mass is energy. Mass is energy. Energy you can convert the two. Right, they're they're inversely proportional. This is what's happening when you're converting, when you're making a fission bomb or a two stage, a multiple stage thermonuclear devices. You're converting mass into energy very right. quickly. Exactly, releasing massive amounts of energy. I mean, megaton energy. We do this all the time when we clap. Yeah, we're converting mass to energy. You're literally like, there you yeah. go. That's why you can cook a chicken by slapping it hard. Yeah, enough. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, theoretically, you really couldn't. But anyway. Think about this, and, and we'll continue with this is complete tangent, but think about this. A raisin, if you could convert the mass of a raisin into pure energy, you'd have enough energy to power a city like New York City for some substantial amount of time. Right. Yeah. A single raisin. A single raisin. So when we think, when, when scientists like NID scientists get in, and they're trying to explain this phenomena using purely naturalistic means, these are the ways their minds go. Yeah. They're thinking zero-point energy. They're mm-hmm. thinking pulling energy from the vacuum of space because there's energy in a vacuum i mean in a vacuum a vacuum isn't nothing right it really the vacuum thinking, is a is a medium of space time yeah they're thinking like there's a massive amount of energy just in space itself if you could develop propulsion systems that can trap tap into right the energy of the vacuum uh you know this is like it would make fusion energy which we've been trying to do for 100 years yeah. look like the, a toddler playing with connects or right. legos right 
So when we look at some of these propulsion systems, the difference between an F-35 and what these things can do is like the difference between a slingshot, a bow and arrow, a Glock 17 9 millimeter handgun, uh, you know, like a, a laser gun, a from laser Halo. gun. Yeah, you're starting to get into like we're we're not talking about blowing a controlled explosion to propel a hunk of metal through space anymore. Exactly. Like an F-35 with control surfaces. You're talking about using, you know, another example would be uh, throughout the vacuum of space, everywhere in space, there is the medium of photons. Like photons don't travel. (laughs) Photons are like like, uh, audience members in a sports game that are doing the wave. They're sitting... So crazy, Ben. They're sitting in their seat and then when the wave gets there, they lift up their hands and, and, you, you, talk, see, and you see the wave. Yeah. But no one's moving. You're talking about like wave-particle duality Yeah, wave-particle duality. So yeah. a photon, it, photons are literally everywhere and they don't move. They just It's just when the light tells them to react, they react. You're blowing my mind And right you now. see light. But it, it's like the slit experiment yeah. type thing? Uh, no, those were electrons, okay. which are different than photons. Okay, I'm... I, but I'm now past in a way that we stepped off the edge of my knowledge. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make, here's the point I'm trying to make yeah. is that like, let's say you can't use gravity. Like people think there's a graviton, like an, a particle of gravity. Uh-huh. It, that's no one knows. That's speculative. It's a theory. Mm-hmm. Like even if you can't use space time to propel something, another option would be the point I'm trying to make. Oh, is you're that there propagating are the things through space like a wave, right? By using photons. So you're harnessing the act, the act, the, uh, the activity of a photon. Yeah. To propel something more than just light, which is a light. So there's a light wave, and yeah. then the photon acts as the particle that propagates the light wave. So you have wave particles. <laughs> yeah. And people are like, well, why couldn't you do that for something bigger, like a ship? And we don't know. And the answer is, why not? Maybe. Maybe. Why not? And if and if there's a you know, a Nephilimic spirit that's been around <laughs> for far longer and also was the one that initially gave us the knowledge to start creating these things in the now first place before you're ready. Wow. Who's to say they don't already know how to do this and are then using it to play off as a higher higher species that is propagating the materialistic worldview, but I'm getting ahead of okay. myself. Yeah, this is actually a theme, though. That's, I'm glad you said it, because there's a theme here where we're going to, like, one of my theories is that we have spiritual elements attempting to deceive people into thinking in terms that they are higher technology beings. Yeah. To and confirm a materialist evolutionary worldview and things like that. Okay, anyway. Theme so of the episode, put a pin in it. The Black Triangles, NIDS did a, an analysis in 2004, and they published it to their website. I don't have it. I think it's there, but I, I haven't dug deep enough. They looked at more than 500 cases across just North America, and many of them had very similar details that the Shermans saw. Uh, in their analysis, basically, they concluded that maybe these craft are military technology, mm-hmm. um, maybe because they're related to bases. So what I wanted to do is talk about some of the explanations Okay, yeah. for the UAP. The NID scientists, again, they were always trying to find natural explanations for sightings. Right. With and, and they did, as part of their study, they did detailed analysis of geological data, weather patterns for the area. So let's talk through a few. One of them is planet misidentification. It's my favorite one. Like orbs. Yeah. It, it was the planet Venus, actually Venus, that flew past your horse and drove it off a cliff. The third sphere. Which heaven. to me makes total sense. The, the planet Venus shrunk down to the size of a golf ball, came down, it turned red, and it did that. Like I think the third close. sphere's song had discord entered into it. <laughs> Anyway. Okay, here, now we're getting into, <laughs> getting into medieval we're cosmology. We're not going to get into cosmology. Which we are researching for season two. But yeah. anyway, yeah. so let's just say planet misidentification. Okay. I'm not saying it is never relevant to UAP. Sure. People make mistakes. Sometimes like when you're driving, 
there's a thing that can happen where if like for example the planet venus literally is a very very bright object it's usually the brightest thing in the sky if it's right in front of you and let's say it's early evening or morning and it's up and it's you're not used to seeing a star that Mm, bright yeah could you misidentify that as UAP? Well, to you, it is UAP. Hundred, yeah, right. It does subjectively fit the bill of it's UAP. It's unidentified aerial <laughs> phenomena. You don't know what it is. But someone else could come in and explain it to you and say, hey, my brother in Christ, that was Mercury, <laughs> that was Venus, that was right. Jupiter. These are very bright objects in the sky. Yes. Okay. Dumb, though, for Skinwalker. Just right. literally does not, not relevant. Literally, it's not Venus. Because you can immediately say, okay, what date... Which direction were you looking? Point in the sky where it was. Okay, Venus wasn't there. Right. Or it was. Or Jupiter wasn't there or, yeah. or whatever. Like we know this. This is not like we, we figured out the motion of the planets. We can predict them. We know. Okay. Yeah. Another one could be like meteors. Yeah. Meteors. Yeah. And, and this does obscure atmospheric or weather phenomena. They say, quote, for example, in the summer of 1952, unidentified balls of light were seen flying over Washington, D.C. on consecutive weekends. The lights were seen from the ground and the air were detected on military and civilian radars, were photographed, and were repeatedly pursued by military jets. The explanation offered by the Air Force was that the false radar sightings had been prompted by a temperature inversion in the area, a theory that simply did not fit with the facts surrounding the sightings and that was publicly disputed by the military's own radar operators and pilots. You'll hear regularly, the end quote, by the way, the military give you what i would call a swamp gas explanation yeah which is from actually john keel he coined that term but on the bad end <laughs> right john keel early on in some i can't remember where it was they like the, the the lights in the swamp in that one area uh-huh people were seeing these lights and he was like oh it's swamp gas yeah lighting on fire that's what they're seeing yeah so people have used this oh it's swamp gas as a derogatory way of of describing stupid explanations okay okay for you know paranormal activity john keel later turned out to like actually be pretty chill like that you know he was like i did not know he was chill like that yeah but he is chill he like actually that. was pretty he chill what are we gwitty he we was on the swamp okay i'm so sorry <laughs> people will often though try to explain these things away with atmospheric unusual to, you know plasma ball lightning yeah is another one, which is still, I don't even know if it's real. I'm going to be honest. I know. I've never even heard of that. Really? Like, yeah. People, I, so you've seen uh, that fake video, right? Uh, which one? The well, train I, tracks. <laughs> I didn't even describe it. <laughs> Are you telepathic? <laughs> I'm not. Injured. Look, we're locked in. We're not that. We're not that locked We're in. not the same person. You're not Despite what cold. many people think. Okay. No. Uh, Plasma I, ball lightning. I don't know if I've seen that okay, video. There's a video that where people said, oh, it's finally been proved. Because there was this theory that you could have a lightning phenomena that looked like a ball of plasma okay. floating, almost suspended in the air and moving in weird directions. Oh, that's crazy. And there are all sorts of theories about how it forms. I'm still not sure. I, legitimately, I, I think there's a debate about whether it's real at all. Okay. There was a video where uh, it was like over train tracks or something, I think. Okay. And it was like a blue ball lightning thing. So one time my mom claims that she saw that happening at train tracks. Okay. See, and, and so, but the thing is, this video was fake. It was CGI. Oh, okay. And it tricked okay, a bunch okay, of people. Okay. Now, ball lightning as an, an explanation, there is an atmospheric physicist named John McDonald. And supposedly he's done research and, and basically demolished the explanation of ball lightning as the basis of UAP. He's like, it just doesn't fit. Even a theoretical model for what ball lighting does. Sure. It just does not fit what they're seeing. Sure. Okay. Great. Okay. So that's an explanation. 
Love it. Earth Lights is another one. Great name. These are all mentioned by NIDS in their their, yeah. their paper on the subject. These are electrical discharges in the atmosphere generated by geological forces in the Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is real. Okay. But again, does not account for the actual behavior. Like, what happens is scientists sometimes will say, oh, you saw something in the sky. Well, you know what? There's this thing that happens where something happens in the sky. Yeah. It's got to be that. A lot of people think, what's those... Lights that come up, they're in, it's in Appalachia somewhere. Um, yeah, I know. I, I'm, in, I'm, in Tennessee. Yeah. It's in the Smokies. Anyway, where there, there's been lights that light up a mountain at yep. night, and and it's like all the time. Didn't and Wendigoon go there? Wendigoon went there. Great video. By the, by way, the way, Wendigoon, you guys, I need Shout you to go Wendigoon. on Twitter and YouTube and all of his comments and say, listen to Haunted Cosmos. He's a Christian, I'm pretty yep. sure. Spam Wendigoon. Does videos on weird stuff. He's we so like cool. him. He's, I, he's so funny. He's so cool. He's like the dorkiest. I just love him so much. Yeah. Tell Wendigoon to literally for free promote Haunted Cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> but so he, he, that was one of the explanations and it literally looks like a spotlight. Yeah. Coming weird. out. It is really weird. Please go, go so, on. So you see stuff like this again. It's just what you'll find with a lot of these explanations is that while they account for a limited range. Yeah. Of some of the sightings, there's usually some percent percentage that if the witness is being at all accurate, there's just no way. It there's no it. way. That's the thing is the scientists will be like, well, what they saw was this real thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like they didn't see anything. It's just that they suddenly forgot how to describe how things move. Yeah, they were like suddenly stupid. And I'm like, come on. Uh, an- another like- another one that's like this is that I've heard people say that around Skinwalker Ranch, there's natural gas and oil drilling. And sometimes they burn off gases yeah, sure yeah and they'll be like oh that's what they saw that is i've seen that and i'm like look sherman is not stupid you have to just like start by saying he's not a complete idiot right why do people start with the why is occam's razor saying that not only are they dumb but they're like yes mentally handicapped okay yeah or blind i don't understand <laughs> I don't this it. at all like he he probably had a driver's license sherman did yeah i bet you he had to pass a sight test i bet he can see i I bet he literally can see. He's a cattle herder. I bet he can see. He's probably capable of vision. He he probably has the gift of sight. Like not even third sight, second sight, just normal sight. (laughs) Just normal first sight. Okay, another one. This is probably the most compelling. And I know like Michael Heiser has a documentary on uh, YouTube that he did with Logos where he talks about the uh, like Roswell stuff. Yeah. There, I will say there are clearly instances in the UAP UFO stuff where it is the government doing stuff. Yes. China, Russia, America. They're 100%, I am certain of that. A lot of it is too. Like some of it's even the false conspiracy theory where the government will feed you a conspiracy yes. to distract you from this real thing. 100%. Okay. So yeah. keep a ready sword, guys. Don't be, don't let the gut, don't let daddy government come in and trick you like your daddy did when he was with three and he pretended to pull a carrot out of your ear. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> he's carrot? waving his other hand over here. He's like, Oh, look at this hand. And he pulls a carrot out of your ear with the other hand. You're like, oh, pull carrot. what? How did you do that? Yeah. Okay. The government <laughs> does that. Like, L- I'm just saying the, the LSD experiments, yeah. the Tuskegee, we know this. Yes. So don't, don't think I'm discounting this as part of it. NIDS actually, investigated are you familiar with the dulce stuff that they investigated in new mexico ben slightly yeah so so they did they realized that there was this other area that had some shocking similarities to skinwalker okay same time mid 90s while they're doing uh, albuquerque yeah that's right along route 64 so they're they're going down the parallels are like uap 
Bigfoot, dog creature sightings, orange and other colored orbs, strange craft in the sky, mostly Native American population of 2,000 in the town. Okay. The Jicaria Apache. I pronounced it like it's Mexican. I don't cool. know if it is. Cool name. That The, the reservation encompasses Dulce. Uh, it, and Wikipedia describes it like this. Dulce Base is the subject of a conspiracy theory. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Claiming... Yeah. Claiming a jointly operated human and alien underground facility exists under the Mesa. There's a connection, yeah. Under, under Colorado, under a Mesa. Yeah. 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 Near the town of Dulce, New Mexico. So there's that's the theory. That's what people think. I'm not saying that's true. Sure. But there's a very similar number of connections. So they actually, one of the reasons sometimes Sherman would be like, have to go call the NIDS team and say, come, something happened. Is because they went to Dulce. Ah, and they okay. also did. We maybe we we might need to do a Dulce episode at some point, but they stuff happened there too. Okay, like and I read some stories that made me want to include them here, even <laughs> though they have no bearing. <laughs> well, hey, Dusty Tome, Bigfoot stuff. There'll be Dusty Tome. Bro, oh, whoa, Bigfoot stuff. Bigfoot stuff. You know what's interesting? <sighs> no, that actually there is a connection there. Because there is a connection. Let's well, let's shoehorn it in. We can't forget. Yeah, let's shoehorn. This it is in. a short episode already. Let's. We, we need more content. <laughs> we can't forget. That all of this started with the legend of the Skinwalker. Yes, this Navajo Thank entity. You. Yeah, like a physical entity that was so a, true, a, King. A, yeah, it's a cryptid. All right, I ate. Guess what else is a cryptid? For real, for real. Peeps, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Bigfoot is a cryptid. Actually, it's a he's Nephilim spirit. So oh, it's a Strelipith. It's a, a pithicus. No, it's not. It's a hollow earth. Be quiet, dweller. Okay. Unless it really is. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But th- th- my point is, yeah, oftentimes where you have, hey, where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's fish, there's sharks. Okay? Yeah. When you have UFOs, you're going to have cryptids too. Yep. 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 This yep. is just case in point. You got Bigfoot with U- UAPs. You have Skinwalker with UAPs. It, all it is is across state lines. It's yep. the same old song and dance. Yep. So now I'm going to shotgun out some crazy explanations that they floated. Gang, gang. The NIDS team and others. This is where they were like, look, this is beyond known science. Love it. They they came up with what they call the interdimensional hypothesis. This is very similar to John Keel's ultra-terrestrial yeah. hypothesis, etc. These are like creatures or beings from other dimensions that are capable of accessing physical reality, but don't necessarily have to be physical all the time. But they're capable of influencing physical reality, and they may be capable of mind control. Okay. Okay. So that's a theory. To me, I'm like, you're close if that's what you want to describe a demon as, a demon. sure. Yeah, sure. Fine, fine. Yeah. Another one would be Jacques Vallée. You've probably heard of Jacques Vallée yeah. from other episodes. He had what he called the control system hypothesis, which is a, it's, it's riffing on interdimensional. Patrick Harper had one called the demonic reality. Michael Grosso had the imaginal realm. John Keel, I already mentioned, the ultra-terrestrials. Then we have the older Middle Eastern conceptions of things like the jinn. Mm-hmm. So they, they, the researchers weren't dumb. Like they recognized that many spiritual to supernatural explanations already had existed in these regions yes. from Native American peoples. So again, as a Christian, we're looking over all this and saying what these people are doing. If I could leave you one thing from this episode, what everybody does all the time is they look at phenomena. And they explain it using the vocabulary and the worldview that they have. Yes. Physicists do this all the time with consciousness. Yeah. They, because they don't have a category for it. And they try, they always try uh, to come up yes. with one. And they're all, and it's always, here's the thing. 
it's always unsatisfying, even yeah. to them. They know that there's just, like, we're missing something, okay? So true, King. And the thing is, we know what it is. We know what they're missing. It's the image of God. Yeah, but, you're missing the the, uh, the the spiritual element of humanity. They're yeah, the exactly. Image of God, they're missing, yeah. And they're missing that, but they're still trying to explain it. So then you get into this, like, wild speculation of thought speed and soul <laughs> yes. speed and stuff that, but but it all comes back to this idea when you when you're when you're a materialist of well, it's just something we haven't figured out yet. But who's to say there's not a higher species, a higher uh, you know a, a species on another plane that has figured it out? Yeah. And so to them, like it, penetrating someone's mind would be like uh, tightening a bolt on your car. Yeah. It, you have the tool, <laughs> and it's an everyday thing. Yes. You know. So materialism, materialism. not even once. It's a heck of a drug, Ben. I would like to now abruptly move into the last section yes. of the NIDS investigation section of our Skinwalker Ranch coverage. I am so excited to, and to get here. I'm gonna I wanna tell the meditating hippie story and then you can close us out love with it. the the portal. I love it. Let's go. So strange stuff is happening. Some of it's like cryptid, some of it's you know, the supposed UAP. There's all sorts of crazy stuff happening. But one thing that both the Shermans and the NIDS team just they the NIDS team especially they're scientists and they're like look this makes me uncomfortable as a scientist but it seems like meditation triggers things psychical human energy yeah which I just want to say like even as a Christian we know that people are embodied souls and that we're not just neurons firing in our brain mm-hmm. thought is is not that so some of the things we're going to talk about on Haunted Cosmos like remote viewing and things like that I always wonder, do we, are we more saturated with materialism than we realize? And we actually underestimate the reality of things like, do people have some sort of psychical element? Mm, I've wondered that about telekinesis. Uh, <laughs> we're getting so unhinged right now, but. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's I mean, the two sides I do. of the same coin. Like, I just wonder about it. I'm like, I don't know. There's always these myths of people having these abilities. There's, there's stuff all throughout the law in the Old Testament telling you to stone the witches. Yeah, the necromancers um, don't. And, and it's not because it's a waste of time. Right. It's like maybe Matilda wasn't fiction. I got news. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, like, like maybe Carrie was real. The, the thing is, God, uh, God doesn't punish time wasting with a capital punishment. Right. Okay? He's not like, that hey, is, don't worry about necromancy. Like, don't do any necromancy because it's all fake. Right. The problem is that it's a real thing. It's just a dangerous yeah. thing. And so you do have to wonder, like, are there people that just, for whatever reason, they are given this this gift, you know? And that's incredibly speculative. Right. And it's very speculative, but there's something that they noticed was that human beings meditating on the ranch did things or did triggered things. things. We, hey, you know what? We know that this is true mm-hmm. because... The practice of yoga is a is a pagan practice. And inherent in the practice of yoga, when you're trying to align your chakras, is meditation. Mm-hmm. So we do we actually do know that meditation does have some sort of spiritual yeah, element to there's it. There's like a there's a pagan sort of meditation where you're trying to tap into spiritual forces. Right. And then there's a Christian meditation where your mind is supposed to be actively latching onto truth. Exactly. The scriptures, and you're meditating on the scriptures, you're meditating on the promises of God. That's biblical good meditation you should do paganism you, always has yourself as the object yes christian meditation always has the object outside of yourself yes particularly on the god god the father son and holy ben. spirit so true king <laughs> just so true so by the end of june of 1996 some of these 
uh, like just the the phenomena, the stories, the almost like garbled. You know how stories get? They're garbled, they're amplified, whatever. Oh, yeah. They're starting to get out that something weird is happening at this ranch. Okay, so it's it's newspapers. People are reporting on it now, and and st- people start to show up to the ranch and wanting to investigate it. So one day in '96, uh, Sherman is there. Tom and his son Tad. They see a vehicle come down the entrance gate, down their drive. They have a long driveway, you know, and they see the vehicle come and they're like, oh, here we go. And Tom sees that there's a very large, tall, strong looking blonde haired man at the wheel. Long hair describes him kind of like a hippie that he's like six foot two. And he looks just like for our, he looks like a hippie. And the guy shows up and he, he tells him that he heard through the grapevine. He'd driven from a long distance away to come and Tom's like, you know that this is private land. You're not just allowed to. This is not paranormal Disneyland. You're, you, you, there's no punch pass. You can't come and just. And he's like, look, I, I want to come. Please, please let me come on your property. I want to meditate. Hippie confirmed. <laughs> so he's like, you picture. I, I picture him as like a Southern California surfer boy who's into the new age. What do you think his name is? His name is probably Brad. Really? Brad. I like that. What do you think? I was going to go. Shad. Shad. S-H-A-D. I knew you were chill. I did not know you were chill like that. <laughs> so Brad, which is not his name, but that's what we're going to call him. He, he comes on the ranch and, and sure, he's pleading with him. He's like, please let me come. I want to do this. I've heard stuff. It might, this might be like the moment that I can tap into the spiritual world. And uh, they're like, all right. Okay, my guy. So the Shermans, Tom and his son, they say, all right, get in the truck. They get into Tom's truck. They head out onto the ranch, and they're like a mile in, and, the, and the, the, the hippie says, this is it. This is the spot that he wants to meditate at. And by the way, the spot that he picked, he didn't know this, was the spot where much activity had happened. Okay. Like weird stuff. That's interesting. Like the tree line stuff, the animals, a lot of things that happened at this spot. A lot of people say that humans have dozens of senses. The, the, not just the five. Not just the five, yeah. but we have many that are sort of biosensor type yeah. things that we're just, we've grown less attuned to yeah. because we have grown so materialistic and less dependent on the environment we're in. One anyway, of continue. one of the senses that I have is the seventh sense is like, I can feel the vibe that you and I have. I can feel it. Ben, hey, close your eyes. I'm closing. I can't see anything. What do you, what do you see? Just nothing. That's my world without you. Oh, bro. <laughs> so... Let's go to Chili's. He taps in. <laughs> like what we feel when we pull into a Chili's parking lot, this is the place he felt at this moment. Ooh, that's a good feeling. So they stop. He gets out, and Tom and Tad are like, I guess we wait. <laughs> like, I guess we're just like babysitting a large hippie. He walks out into this little hill. There, you know, It's kind of like an open field. There's a tree line in the maybe 100 yards away. They stop there, and it's just quiet. The guy sits down. They're like 30 yards away from him. He closes his eyes and in what they describe as a faintly religious gesture, <laughs> spreads both of his arm out. Okay. And they're laughing. Like Tom and his son, they're they're absolutely tickled. They just think this is hilarious. Cause because you know you know the type. Like the type with crystals in their in there, and they've got the you know, the dream catchers, and they think that they're gonna project their, you know, thoughts out into Orion's belt with their new agey made up the secret nonsense right where they're just syncretizing a bunch of eastern mysticism with like warmed over western thinking and it's just made like a lot of it's just dumb so this guy's meditating and but but 
they stop laughing after a minute because it's like Tom Sherman thinks he hears something like the chime of a cowbell. And you might say, well, why would that stop him in his tracks? Isn't this a cattle ranch? Well, Tom Sherman knows he doesn't have any cowbells on his animals. He doesn't use cowbells. So here's the chime. And he's like, what's going on? Where is that sound coming from? And he's able to hear that he thinks it's coming from deep in the copse of trees up ahead. And he hears it again, but it's nearer now. It's approaching him. The stranger seemed not to have heard it, or he's so deep in his meditation that he's silently sitting still in this religious gesture. Now, all of a sudden, Tom believes he begins to see in the trees sort of a faint, moving blur something moving very quickly in between the trees. He can see sort of this blurry shape, but he can't tell if it's the source of the cowbell. He can't tell what it is. It's daylight, by the way. And he's looking, he's watching it move from tree to tree, almost as if it was circling. And he begins to feel this sense of dread and unease. And then all of a sudden, as he's watching this thing with no warning, it breaks out of the tree line and it starts to absolutely run towards the man who is meditating. And Tom is blinking his eyes because the thing he's seeing, it, it's, it's, like he, it's like he has some fuzz in his eyes. He can't see it. It's broad daylight, but it's blurred. It's almost invisible looking. It's like the heat distortion you see on the blacktop on a hot day. And, and, and he, Sherman realizes all of a sudden that this thing is, it is going right for this meditating man. And, and this guy has no idea. He's got his eyes closed. So just as Sherman is about to yell and say, look out, all of a sudden, what the hunt for the skinwalker describes as a shimmering wraith-like huge thing stopped inches from the meditator and then let out a deep just animalistic roar that echoed through the landscape. Like ear-splitting roar. The stranger who's meditating all of a sudden at this roar just falls over himself, leaps to his feet, and 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 begins to scream. And he's he's he sees the creature, and 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 the he he begins to turn and run towards Sherman. And 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 Sherman notices that the thing looks almost like a pixelated sort of blurry shape turns and bolts back for the tree line. The hippie is so terrible. I mean, he's literally his pants need to be changed. I mean, this is not in the book. I'm assuming he's had an accident. Like. <laughs> He runs, he grabs on to Sherman, like clinging to, six foot two, large man. Like scared cat. Clinging to him. He's like, he's like weeping like a baby. He's out of his mind with fear. And Tom Sherman is like trying to get himself away from the guy. But the guy's not only scared, like strong, but he's like now possessed with the panic of a fear, like a drowning swimmer. He's clinging to him, taking him down. Finally, after literally minutes of this, Tom quietly says into the man's ears, if you do not let go, I am going to hit you. <laughs> and uh, the guy says, I'm, I, I will let go if you promise that you will take me back to my car. Okay. Guy's transform with fear. He says, okay. Take him back to his car. Guy gets back in his car and like absolutely with no respect for the, for the gravel driveway that they have to maintain, <laughs> peels out and just barrels down the road and drives away. Never saw him again. My gosh. Okay. Now here's the, here's the cherry. 
here's the cherry on top. It was sometime later, sometime later, Tom and Tad, the father and son, were watching, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura fight alien life forms in the jungles of South America as, in the movie Predator. As one does. As one does. And they see, you probably know where I'm going with this. They see the Predator with his cloaking, mm-hmm. that shimmer heat wave look where he turns kind of invisible. And they both, in the same moment, they yell out, that's what we saw. That is exactly what we saw. And Tom estimates that the creature was running upwards of 60 miles an hour. There's another really unsettling meditation story. Yeah. And we're going to close with this one tonight. Yeah. If that's all right with you, Brian. Ben, it's not only all right with me. (laughs) We're two hours in. (laughs) But we're two hours into this thing. We should just like. You sh- we should probably land the plane. We didn't even scratch the surface of how many stories. No, we did. In fact, before you tell that one, can I just tell one? Oh, yeah. Because I, I, I feel like you're going to tell a portal story. I am going to tell a portal story. And I just want to say that there was a time when Sherman was on the ranch, and he looked up in the sky, and he saw a circular opening in the sky. Okay. And he said that it had a different sky than the sky. It wasn't blue. It was like a different... It's like wormhole stuff. What? This guy. Okay, anyway, keep going. To be a fly on the wall. To, to be, be a fly on Sherman's shoulder. To be a fly on Sherman's shoulder. Wow. Okay, so after that incredibly uh, anticlimactic tease that Brian just gave us, I'm going to close with another meditation story, like I said. So it, on August 25th of 1997, again, it's a warm summer's night, beautiful, clear, the NIDS team was sitting on the edge of a bluff near one of the fields, and the field was actually about 100 feet below them. And they were setting, you know, getting all their night vision camera set up so they could monitor the field throughout the night. And there were two main scientists in charge of this study, and I'm going to call them Jim and Mike, but that's not their real names. They chose to remain anonymous. And they had gotten everything set up, the night had begun, it was pitch black. And thus far, nothing had stirred. Some four hours into the watch then, Jim, who was the more experienced investigator, climbed down quietly into the small pasture and he sat in the middle of the field to meditate because he had found over the years that meditation sometimes activated some sort of phenomena, whatever that was, although it happened too few times to be anything more than anecdotal observation. Again, it's... it's it's managing to evade their measurement tools. So Jim is down there meditating and nothing happened. So eventually he gives up. It's 2.30 a.m. at this point. It's been a six-hour watch. And so they decide to move their operation to a different part of the ranch. And so they began to disassemble the camera from its tripod, pack it into their carriers, and they were just going to huff it on over to a different location that they could look at the, at the pasture from a different perspective. So just as Jim was thinking disappointingly that his meditation hadn't produced anything his eye caught a very faint light on the track about 150 feet below him remember at this point he had climbed back up to the bluff he watched it a little bit puzzled thinking ah it's probably a piece of glass that's reflecting a a truck light from down the road that he can't see or maybe the neighbor's homestead light is is reflecting off a piece of metal on the ground something like that but it was a faint yellowish color and as he watched it started to grow brighter. So a few seconds later, he nudged his partner, Mike. It's definitely getting brighter at this point, And it actually started to get bigger too. 
So Jim, kind of quietly under his breath, says, hand me the camera. At the same time, Mike quietly and efficiently unpacked the night vision binoculars he just put away. Jim set up the tripod, all of this being done very quietly, and positioned his camera loaded with infrared film in line with the light that had now grown to six inches in diameter. And it was still growing brighter and brighter into this dull yellow color. So he sets the shutter to about 30 seconds. But as this light continues to grow brighter and bigger, he, he keeps upping the shutter time to 60 seconds and then 90 seconds. And this yellow light expanded so that it was positioned just over the ground rather than directly on the ground. It was like it was lifted up a little bit, but he wasn't totally sure how high off the ground it was. And then Mike, who had taken the, the night vision binoculars at this point, whispered to Jim, it's, it's a tunnel, not just a light. It's not just a circle, it's a tube. And initially, Jim was so fed up with getting the right exposure time dialed in that he, he kind of ignored Mike. But now Mike was standing up and he began to utter blasphemies. And he said hoarsely, Jim, something's in the tunnel. Jim looked carefully at the light below. It had now expanded to more than two feet in diameter. Something that big was definitely going to register on his film, and he was glad for that. Oh my, Mike says suddenly, thoroughly frightened. There's this black thing coming out of it. I see his head. Jim suddenly felt panicked. His companion was plainly bordering on panic. It has no face, Mike whispered. Jim was wondering why he couldn't see the same thing that his partner was seeing. And so he nudged Mike, give me the monoculars. I want to look. But Mike ignored him. He was too transfixed on what he was looking at. He told him, it's on the ground and it just, it just fell out and walked away. As Mike danced on the ledge a few feet away, plainly in a panicked state, Jim could see the light decreasing in size. And within 30 seconds, the dull yellow circle that Mike said was a tube had shrunk to about half its full diameter and was losing its light intensity. In the meantime, Jim pulled Mike close over to him and asked, what happened? And Mike said, a big black creature just crawled through that tunnel. It got onto the ground and it walked away. That's what happened. And it's lurking around here somewhere. At that moment, Jim felt a chill run up his spine. I only saw a yellow light. Are you sure? Mike said, of course I'm sure. The night vision turned the light into a 3D tunnel and something, some large thing, I'm thinking maybe 400 pounds and at least six feet tall, crawled out of the tunnel. Even the distant coyotes had stopped howling at this point. Everything was silence. And the deep silence remained, even after 15 minutes, while they gathered their equipment and walked down the bluff so that they could analyze the ground. Nothing stirred. And once near the track, though, a strong, pungent, sulfur-like smell attacked their nostrils. And they had smelled this before, after other phenomena had taken place. They got out their Nard Alert counter and they could pick up alpha, beta, gamma, and x-rays. And then after a few minutes of monitoring, everything went back to background normal levels. They found nothing unusual in the magnetic field meter, nothing registered, and eventually the whole scene, the whole aura returned to a level of calm. They were able to describe what they had seen. The bizarre and creepy sight of a huge black humanoid form using its elbows to lever itself along a 3D tunnel and then fall out onto the ground down from the bluff that they were on. Jim believed his friend, his colleague. He knew that Mike had spent long hours in the darkness tracking this stuff and he wasn't given to flights of fancy. At least, not until tonight. 
The team spent hours the following day searching for footprints, but to no avail. Mike and Jim worked on a written report of the incident. Their instruments, of course, the camera included, had failed to record anything unusual. The photos were very disappointing, showing only a single, very faint, blurry light in one of the many rolls of film that had been used. Did you know that patrons get access to a bonus show, The Dusty Tome, as well as early access to main episodes? Support the show and get access to these amazing benefits and more at patreon.com slash hauntedcosmos.